Psalm 23. We have been in here now for the last five weeks. This is our last opportunity to look at this psalm together as a group. And today we're going to do a few different things with it. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray through the psalm. In a previous time, we talked about understanding prayer and how it works. And we talked about how we need to learn to pray through Scripture. So today what we're going to do is we're going to pray through Psalm 23. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to read the section, and I'm going to pray out loud on it. And I want you to follow along in silence and pray to the Lord. He can hear you as I pray each section. And through this process, what I hope you'll learn is how important it is to oftentimes simply open up the Word and allow God to speak to you clearly as you walk through a passage. Walking through a passage. All right? You can close your eyes because I'm going to read it for you. Everybody close your eyes. And let's begin to pray. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, Father, my shepherd, you are the one who gathers me into your arms and comforts me in my times of question and doubt. You are the one who provides me with an understanding of life and reminds me of my purpose. You are my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Lord, I find myself often thinking I need more than I have. And yet, when I recognize that the more I gain, the less I have, I begin to understand what it means not to be in want, that you can provide everything I need. And when I try to grasp more, all I end up with is heavy weight and a sense of struggling over how am I going to deal with this? What should I do with this? What's my responsibility concerning this stuff? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Father, how green are these pastures? Sometimes it seems to me the pastures you're making me lie down in are prickly. And they don't feel real green. They feel like... They feel like... Pain. They feel like insight that's forced. They, they feel like something I don't really want. But I see they are green. And I grow in understanding. And I begin to comprehend. You made me lie down. So that I might understand. So that I might comprehend so that I might be changed. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Oh, Lord, I feel this restoration as I walk along with you. And I look at the waves and I find myself going, you are such an incredible God and I am so small in the midst of all these things. The water is quiet, and yet it's also loud. It's got this mixture of going on. It shows me that life has a beginning and an end. Oh, Father, in these quiet times, speak. Speak. 
and restore my soul that feels so broken. And it has been in such a rush. Quiet me now. Restore. Restore my soul. Guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Lord, I don't want to walk in these right paths. It's hard to walk the right way. I feel discriminated against in the midst of it. When I speak truth, it's like other people want me to say lies. And I, I don't know what it means to be not rude. What it means to be truthful yet loving. These paths at times seem, I know they're right, but, but they seem like, why do I have to walk here? And then this valley of the shadow of death, and it's so quiet, but it's not a good quiet. It's a dark quiet. It's a quiet that says, oh, Father, Father, can you hear me? I can't hear you. I can't feel you. Lord, this valley, it's a shadow of death. And I'm so, so afraid. And yet, you begin to take away my fear. How is this? How am I beginning to experience this sense of, oh, not fear, but wonder, this sense of peace, this sense of, I'm going where you want me to go. I'm following where you have led me to. In the very presence of my enemies, I find you provide for me everything. And in the midst of my question, you begin to deal with my doubt. And you show me once again who you are. And all you can do, my cup overflows. I find myself amazingly filled with praise and joy. Oh, Father, thank you. That though around me I see so much pain, yet in the midst of me I recognize that you will use that pain for good. And you will bring about great and wonderful things. Surely goodness and mercy. That's what you're talking about. Goodness and mercy are going to follow. This is incredible, Lord. Thank you, Father. Goodness. Good things. Mercy. Love. That which heals and provides hope. All the days of my life here, I'm going to live here, Lord, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to live with you. I will dwell with you, not just while I'm here, but are you going to come for me? And I'm going to experience forever. And Lord, I look so forward to that because I know something. You are my shepherd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Praying through God's word changes our very hearts and souls. Because the word of God has got this remarkable living reality that Jesus tries to teach us about, that the Father tries to tell us about. And so as we begin to read these psalms, we're not reading a dead literature. We're reading something that will come so alive that it will change your very essence and who you are. You see, I love to dwell in the Father's house, to sit and to enjoy and to listen. I love Sunday mornings because it's my time to come in and say, okay, Father, speak. I love Pete's leading us in singing. I don't know if you guys, if you're missing it, I feel so bad for you. 
Because there is so much healing that takes place when we listen to these words and we're encouraged by this melody and we get to hear the harmony that Robin throws in. We find ourselves going, Lord, this is, this is incredible. What a wondrous, hopeful, healing time in your presence. I love to be in the Father's house because in the Father's house, I find freedom. This is a time of Thanksgiving and there's a special thing I want to show you. Uh, my wife was sent this from my uh, daughter here and this if you look at it, it says i'll read it for you i have to even get close this book is dedicated to grandma i don't know why it isn't grandpa but it's grandma and it says why because i can do anything i want at her house isn't that great i can do anything i want at her house and i thought yeah that's brent and he's he enjoys it so we, we so much enjoy the grandkids because we get to give them back they're there for a day and they can do anything they want. We give them food they don't get anywhere else. And we, just, we have a ball. We buy them. We let them, we let them do their iPad. They're watching TV. We're having a great time. We go and do this. We jump in and go swimming with them. They just have a ball. It's a great time. And then we get to send them home. And they get to deal with it. It's a great thing. Yeah. When I see this, this section of the psalm where he says, I love, I love to go to the Father's house. I want to dwell in his house and his place forever. It's this cry of David. There's this sense of freedom and this sense of openness, this sense of transparency. When I'm at the Father's house, everything changes because life takes on its real meaning and I get to toss off all the trappings of my kingship or my pastorship or whatever it is, hats that I have to carry. And I get to just be free in the Father's house. I love, I love going to the Father's house because my Father loves me. And that's the cry of this psalm. That's why it starts off with, he's my shepherd. And then it ends with, he's my shepherd all over again. That's really what it comes back to. I'm back to his house. But now it's recognized he's not just my shepherd. He's my Father. I will dwell in his house Forever, I'll never, ever be sent away. Because you see, although I kid, and I say, and then we send them home, but guess what? They can come back anytime they want. My kids can come back anytime they want. My grandkids, we love having them over. Because we want them to recognize that our house is a grandpa's house, it's grandma's house, and that's their house. That's the cry of the psalm. That's what he's trying to help us understand and grasp. I love to go to my father's house. So when we talk about going to the father's house, because that's the picture. You begin to get that. That's what he closes with. It's like, this is where I ended up with. I went down this path as the shepherd leading and guiding and, and meeting and, and greeting and, and pri- doing this process and directing and all these things are going on. I finally find myself. And I end up at the father's house and I get here and I go, I'm here. And I sit down and I go, oh, finally, I'm here. Well, when I go to the Father's house, who is following me? Who is following me? Because that's the picture. It's this circular picture going throughout this psalm. And it's one that David's trying to teach us about. See, when you run into the Father's house, the things that are following you are mercy and love. They chase you all the way to the Father's house. That's my destination. That's where I want to get to. And therefore, these wonderful companions... Pursue me all the way there. 
It's, it's almost a picture of when I get to the Father's house, I want to be able to tell him of all the great things that took place before I got here. I want to share with him how things changed this week before I got to my Father's house. All the things that I'm thankful for. All the people I was able to, to encourage and be encouraged by. All the great change they saw in people's lives. Yeah. As we went to our Father's house. The house that the shepherd led me to. That's where I want to dwell all my life. Goodness and mercy all my life. That's kind of the closing picture of this, this last verse of the psalm. It, it brought to me, I thought, um, it's like this great promise. We all know that Romans eight twenty eight promise. Okay? We've got the handle on us and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called by him, who are chosen for his purpose and who are involved in that process. And you've got to understand that promise is for those who are going to the Father's house. I hope you get that. You can be outside of God's will and outside his direction. And then that promise isn't for you. That promise is for those who are going to the Father's house. As you're going to the Father's house, he's going to be working all things together for good and you're going to have mercy and love. You're going to have goodness following you. All the days of your life, it's going to be in that. Pro- it's going to be part of what's going on in that circular process. As the shepherd leads and guides us and brings us to the Father's house, and we go back to the. Sh- you see that picture going on? I hope you can catch this, because that's what David is trying to teach us about life and the wonder, the wonder of God's presence and His power and His purpose and His direction for each one of us. Goodness follows me. It pursues me. There's no difficulty, no dilemma. There's no defeat. There's no disaster in my life that is not going to be redeemed ultimately by God to bring about good. To bring about a wonderful end result. Agathos, or in this case, it's agathane. It's, it's, uh, Jesus talks about when he says this, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth what? Good. But the evil person out of his treasure brings forth evil. So it's this picture of, of a person who's got this huge bag full of good stuff. It's, it's Santa Claus with a bag full of good stuff going around and distributing to everybody else. Where do you get all these gifts? They come out of his life process. He's gathering together all the time. And as it's gathered together and God provides all these things, then he's able to give it out and give it out and give it out and give it out. And his bag is empty and God says, watch me fill it up again. My cup overflows. God keeps filling it back up. I go, what? He says, well, that's the purpose of the bag, Lee. That's why I've got you carrying this. Mercy and goodness are going to follow you all the days of your life. So as we have opportunity to do good, that's what Paul's telling us in Galatians, as you have the opportunity to do good, do it. Do it. You're like, oh, oh, Lord, I have this money right now, and this guy needs this thing, and I can do some good, but I'm... He says, don't give me any but I'm, just do it. Mercy, goodness will follow you all the days of your life because you're heading to the Father's house. That's where we're going. We're practicing now, but I'm running to the Father's house. And I get here on Sundays and go, rest time. I'm in the Father's house. Okay, renew, restore. Ah, yes. Remind me. Remember. You see? 
The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me. He leads me. He guides me. He provides for me. Even through the valley of the shadow of death. And in the midst of all those questions and doubt and concern. And I come out the other end of that tunnel and it says, look, it's mercy and goodness. They've been following me all this time. Hallelujah. My cup overflows. And I'm going to dwell with the house of the Father forever and ever and ever. How many times do you feel like God is hiding from you and you don't feel any good and you don't feel any mercy and you don't feel anything? Have any of you felt that in your life this week, <laughs> today? You see, see, our struggle is someone has been to look behind us. Who's pursuing me? It's mercy pursuing me. It's goodness pursuing me. And sometimes I just need to slow down and let him run into me. That's the picture. That's what he's trying to tell us. When, you are, when you're seeking to dwell, this is what's going to happen. They're going to pursue you. They're going to chase you. They're going to run after you. And you need to allow them to grab a hold of you. Slow down. Allow it to take place. Now, we all struggle with the why. Even Jesus struggled with the why. Do you remember him on the cross? And suddenly God's presence was gone from him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there was an incredibly great good that needed to take place, but he must remove himself from him for the moment so that sin might overtake him and he might become the sacrifice for all mankind. So that all mankind, all women, all kids, everybody would have the opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father. Oh, goodness and mercy were chasing him. But for a moment they were stopped. They had to lay back and wait. But wow, did they ever come full bore three days later. And we saw the wonderful, not just compassion, but purpose and attendance of God. You see, God is always seeking to take great evil and turn it into great good. We're in the midst of a horrible situation that's taking place across the world today. It's a result of a group called ISIS. They're intent upon destruction. And perhaps you're reminded of not too long ago, actually just before I came to this church some 14 years ago, 9-11, a horrible thing took place and thousands of people died. But in the midst of that horror, some great good took place. Let's watch this clip about that. Mercy, pursuing, following, intent, desiring to make a difference, to bring about a change, to cause us to come to the place of not just understanding but experiencing God's wonder in our life so that we'd find ourselves going, wow, He is real, He is here, He is involved. You see, that's the cry of the psalm. That's what he's trying to teach us and remind us of. Micah said it when he says, What does the Lord require of you? He's told you what is good. How to do justice. To love kindness and mercy. To walk humbly with your God. That's, that, that's the cry. That, that's the directive. Mercy is about dealing with the hurts of others. And when nobody is hurt... It's difficult to give mercy, and that doesn't mean we want hurt to happen, but we recognize that it will. 
So the question becomes, how do you respond to the hurts of those around you? Jesus cries to us and says, I want to deal with the hurts in your life. If you'll come to me, take my yoke upon you. Listen to me, learn from me, grow with me, and I will heal your hurts. I will handle your failures. I will, I will, I will deal with your issues of life itself. Goodness and mercy are following to deal with the wounds in our life. To help us grasp why the pain is there and what we can do with this painful situation. When you find yourself giving mercy to someone else and you forgive them for the wrong they've done, then instantly the healing is done and, you're, and it's all done and over and you've forgotten everything, right? Not hardly. Not even close. In fact, the greater the wound, the greater the time it takes to heal it. Just as in natural life we recognize that, so in spiritual life it's the same way. The greater the wound, the bigger the bandage. Forgiveness is instant, but restoration takes oftentimes months or years before we finally recognize. And it's what happens. One day we wake up and you wake up and you go, it's gone. I no longer hate them for what they've done. I no longer want them to be hurt for what happened. Oh, thanks be to God. It's over. It's healed. There's still a scar, though. Because anything that deep leaves scars, and we have to deal with this process of of, of sometimes breaking up that scar tissue so that God can heal our hurts. And, and essentially the different kinds of bandages. I, I, I thought of this. I thought, you know, Lord, what are the different ways you bring mercy and goodness into my life? And usually I find that it's through other people. It's people who support me. It's people who are in a group. It's when we get together in this small thing, we begin to discuss and, and question and bring up areas in our life that are incredibly painful that we don't want to share at any other time. Because you see, right now, today, you're not going to share those with me. It's not going to happen. But this week, in a small setting where there's three or four of us, and I have the Nelsons over, they may share something significant with me, and I may share something significant with them. And maybe the Getzes, and they come by, and we, we find ourselves till 9 or 10, or, you know, for us, that's really late. We're older. Uh, and, and we find ourselves praying and talking and, and supporting one another in the midst of these questions of why why what good could come out of that I know God's going to bring it but I just just struggle with, with the time when's it going to happen it's Debbie with her autistic son and going you know Lord <laughs> we're talking about that it's just so hard and I don't have that burden in my life. Mercy and goodness. Bandages <laughs> that begin to bring healing in the midst of our pain and our struggle. Physical and emotional healing. People even trained in physical therapy to deal with it. We have 
I think of the Happenies that I had my back in really bad shape and he came into my house and I was kind of laying down. He said, let me take care of that for you. And he began to beat me. <laughs> he hurt me. I was in such pain. I said, if you do that again, I'm going to punch you. I mean, it was just, he said, Lee, I haven't even begun yet. I'm going, oh my goodness, you're killing me. He said, I've got to take care of this. This is bad. How long have you had this? I went, ah, yeah. He said, oh, you can't speak? You know, I said, no, I'm in too much pain. Give me something to chew on. or you know, get, Don't they get a bullet or some kind of, you know, something? Oh. I mean, it was brutal. And he said, Lee, you need this. And after he was gone, it was like I was able to move. And I still had pain, but it wasn't as bad. And then my back came back in, and I was able to enjoy it. And he said, now, from now on, you need to do these exercises, or else you're going to get here again. See, mercy and goodness comes in all different shapes and forms as they bring therapy into our life. And God is often saying, it's time for you to have some therapy. You need to feel the pain because you've been ignoring it. And there's things you need to do if you're going to live life appropriately. If you're going to accomplish the purpose that I have for you, you're going to have to go through these things. And you need to listen to me. And even after we're healed, there's this scar. And when we look at the scar, we can either see it as a wound that declares God's mercy and kindness and love and grace, or we can just see it as the scar of something where we gain pain. It's a testimony, a declaration. So you know what I always put on all my scars? I put keep looking up. That's my tattoo. Keep looking up. And then as I look up, I remember, that's why that's here. That's why this has taken place in my life. That's why why I've learned and grown and changed from whatever hurt or difficulty that's taken there. And I do not enjoy those things, but I recognize that God uses those things. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So we receive it and then we are able to give it because now we begin to understand what it is that we're giving to those around us. And it becomes real mercy. Real mercy. Not a pseudo-mercy, but real mercy because we grasp what it is that we're giving even if they did not fully understand what it is they're receiving. And it says, how long will this be? When are they going to stop following me? You know, sometimes I feel like I, I want to put on my undercover Christian clothes. Okay? Those are the ones where I get mean and nasty. And I do anything but mercy and love. It's like, no, I'm putting on the mean clothes. And I yell and scream and jump up and down. Don't be laughing at me. And I whine and I cry and, I, and it's like mercy and goodness are following. I mean, I'm going, quit following me. I don't want to love anybody. I don't want to show mercy to anybody. I don't want to do it right now. I just want to get mad. I am so... And mercy comes along and says, so what? What are you? I'm like, I, oh, will you quit that? What's with the mercy? It's that cry of that song, Jesus, he loves me. He loves me. He reaches his arm and I just can't run from his presence as much as I try. 
And he reminds me, hey, I'm going to follow you all the days of your life. I'm never going to leave you. Mercy, goodness, chasing, pursuing, continuing. All the days of my life. And every time I start to put on those undercover clothes, he says, will you take that off? That's not who you are. Not anymore. Now throw them away and burn them. And live the life I've called you to live because you know it's the right life. And when you do that, you will dwell, you will come in, you'll recognize this wonderful place you want to be at. You won't just think about it and dwell on it in that way. You're going to live in the Father's house forever. You're going to live in the Father's presence. You're going to experience the Father's power. You're going to begin to grasp what life was actually meant to be. And how love was actually meant to be expressed. Stop running from me and allow me to catch you. Mercy and goodness as I go to dwell in the Father's house. The one who leads me, who guides me. The one who calls me in. And so I come to the house of the Lord, to this church And I find myself gaining healing for my hurts and surrounded by people who care about me and who hug me and who love on me and who share what's taking place in their lives. And they begin to meet this major need that I have to have a sense of being loved. But in the midst of that, they remind me of the one who can meet all the other needs in my life, this unconditional lover. The shepherd who meets all my needs. A dwelling in his house forever. Remember last week we talked about futon? And I told you how that's translated in Japanese to go home. And, and it is, it is, this great story, you've got to understand this. When he talks about the, the picture of the, the cup being overflowing, it's actually from a picture of, of the traditions that took place in these desert areas of Israel and surrounding things, that when you would come to their house, they would invite you in and they would instantly give you a cup to drink because you're always thirsty. You run wander around the desert. And they would fill your cup up and you would drink it and then they'd fill it back up again. And then you'd drink it and they'd fill it back up again. And finally you figure out, I better stop drinking this. They're going to keep filling it up. Well, that's true, except that when they want you to go home. People say, when do you know when it's time to go home? They're no longer filling up your cup. That's what happens. You go, my cup is empty. It's not that he's a lousy waiter. No, it's not that they're a lousy server. It's, it's time for you to go home. Cup is empty, time to go home. Moms and dads, figure that one out. For your kids, don't fill their cup. Time for them to go home, right? But for most of us, and this is the cry of God, he says, my cup overflows. You see, God says, I come to dwell in the Father's house. You know what he says? Stay here. Stay here. He keeps pouring more into it. And it overflows. He's, in fact, he never stops the pouring. God says, you get to dwell here. How long? Forever. 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 You see, if you're hurting because there's pain in your life, because someone has brought into your life something that you, you desperately did not want, and it's brought about such severe wounds 
that you find yourself just hunkering in pain, Jesus says, come to my table. Come to my table. And I will fill your cup to overflowing. And one special day, when this tent is broken down, boy, we talk about that more and more. It's like, my arm is this, my back is this, my eyes. I got to go get eye surgery now coming up. I went to the doc and he, I said, something's wrong with these glasses. He said, oh, yeah. I said, I can't see out of the right one. It's not working right. You must have given me the wrong lens. I was nicer than that, but it sounds good. Okay. And he goes, oh, let me check it out. And he goes, notch, notch. And he says, man, you're six notches difference. It's only been six months. I said, what does that mean? He says, that means cataract surgery. He said, you're kidding me. I'm 64 years old. He said, yeah. <laughs> Call the ophthalmologist and set you up because guess what? That eye's going bad. Going, man, old man, take a look at your life. <laughs> wow. This tent is breaking down and Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, Lee, and you're going to need it. And then I'm going to come and gather you in, and you're going to be with me. Remember what he says then? Forever. I'm going to ask our band to come up. Kind of closes up a bit today. So you finish up this picture. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, the last six weeks we've been doing this. I want everyone to close your eyes. I'm going to read a few comments about what we've learned. Close your eyes. Summarizing. If I know the shepherd... I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to fear poverty because you are my shepherd and you have everything. Everything that I would ever need. I don't need to fear loneliness because you will always be with me. I don't need to fear mistakes because you're going to guide me back and place me on the right path. I don't need to fear failure because you will restore my broken soul. I don't need to fear the future because goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. I don't even need to fear death because I will dwell in your house forever. God's beneath me in green pastures, beside me in still waters, with me in the valley, around me in the presence of my enemies, touching me, anointing my head with oil. He's before me, leading me in the right path. He's behind me, watching my back. He's even beyond me, waiting in heaven. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you that we have forever lives that are starting today. And I ask for your blessing to fall upon each one here, that they might place the psalm not just in their heads, but in their hearts. And then when they're in hurting, as I have been this week, <laughs> they might read the psalm over and over and find themselves hearing your voice speaking so clearly. Ah, I am your shepherd. You need not be in want. I will make you lie down in green pastures. I will lead you beside quiet waters. I will restore your soul. Uh, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. My rod, my staff, they'll be there. I will comfort you. 
in the presence of your enemies. I will not just be with you. I'm going to make your cup overflow. And I'll make sure. No, I'll command it. Goodness and mercy. They'll pursue you. All the days of your life. And then the day will come when we will join together. And we will walk together. And we will dwell together in that free, wonderful place where you get to say, I get to do whatever I want to do at my Father's house. Oh, Lord, I'm looking forward to it. It's great now, but how wonderful it will be then. Allow us the privilege, Lord, of knowing, admitting our need. We need you as Savior. You died so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And today we say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, change me. Take over my life. Be my Lord. I confess you. Take place. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How long will we be in his house? Forever, forever, forever. Stand with us. Let's finish out the song and then we're going to go eat.